Hello and welcome to the Chunder Living Podcast. It is late fall 2017 and I'm Charlie. I'm seated here joined with two guests. I'd love for you guys to introduce yourselves. Hey, uh, I'm John, uh, Johnny from former owner of Johnny Five Donuts, but now uh, just just a guy interested in the topic tonight. Johnny of Johnny, welcome back to the podcast. Yeah, Happy to have you here. I am Mac. Uh, I live in Chengdu. Ma- American Mac from Chengdu. American Mac. Excellent. So today we're talking about an extra exciting topic, and that is moving money outside of China. And uh, kind of how we got on this topic, I think, was through discussing Bitcoin. And everybody's been talking about Bitcoin recently, so this is a good thing for us to talk about. And this is also kind of a preparation for you two going onto a stage to speak about Bitcoin at an event in Chengdu next week. That's correct. We are going to do that. I thought uh, what happened is is I was looking at a group uh, of these WeChat groups. If anyone's listening outside of uh, outside of China, but uh, we have these social media groups, and people are always asking, "How do I get my money out?" And then someone cryptically says, and I think cryptically is a good word because it is, in fact, a cryptocurrency, but cryptically says, oh, use Bitcoin. And then and then everyone, all the people who know what they're talking about nod along. And then the person goes off into the ether, never to be heard from again. And I don't even know what that means. So I said, hey, let's figure it out. Yeah. you know, Getting money outside of China has always been a really difficult thing to do. And this is something which I've been dealing with kind of for a long time. Anyone who's been in China for a long time, I think, has had to find find solutions to this problem because China doesn't want you to take the money outside China. China wants you to make your money inside China and spend it inside China and does not want you to convert it into anything else, does not want you to move it outside China. So there's a whole litany of restrictions on Chinese currency specifically. And that's why one thing I noticed, which is interesting, um, is that how, how much the value of renminbi differs from inside China and outside China. I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but if you take renminbi to like Hong Kong and try to convert it there, like you'll get a far worse exchange rate. Or if you're in like Paris or London or Seattle or anywhere around the world, the value of renminbi is much lower outside China than it is inside China. Hmm. And that's because it's so difficult to work with. It's also diff- it's difficult. It, it, they've made it more difficult, progressively more difficult to do anything with it. As far as exchanging money, it's like you can only do so much each day. And as far as you know, the, the, there's some different things that are going on that make it a lot more difficult to move it and t- to change it. And like you said, they really have a lot of a lot of uh, annoying stop gaps in place to make sure it's yeah. as hard as possible. Very restricted. That's why we love Bitcoin. I've heard that. <laughs> so let's find out how, what I, I'm curious exactly what what is a Bitcoin? Is it how does it work? What is it? I think Mac, you should answer this question, right? Because I assume that you're you're. I can answer it, but I'll, I'll give this one to you. Uh, okay, well, uh, briefly, it's uh, it's an online currency that is basically gains its value because it is uh, mathematically and economically sound. Um, so only twenty million will twenty one million will ever be made, and so they can't be forged. They can't be hacked. Whatever. Uh, so basically, there's a network securing all of these Bitcoin transactions, and they're borderless. They're free. Uh, You have control, complete control over your money. It's basically currency which is independent of any government. It's essentially the split of currency and government, which has kind of never happened before outside of like bartering economies. How uh, How does the Bitcoin... I understand that there's only so much which gives it value, but how? To I guess a couple of questions. How does it have value? 
it's not backed by anything, right? There's no gold or something that backs it. Not that there is in America, obviously, but yeah. And also, how does it? Uh, how many are there left to mine, or or what does that what does that mean? I know that the, I know that in the beginning you mined a lot, and now you're mining less. Whoever is mining right. them, right? So the difficulty of mining becomes more difficult over time, and so now it's very difficult to mine Bitcoin, and that's why for. Most people mining Bitcoin is a total waste of time because you can mine all day long and you make like two cents because it's really difficult to mine Bitcoin now. So, uh, but basically, the reason why um, having a predictable allotment of Bitcoin is attractive is because one of the major downsides of fiat currency is that it's controlled by a centralized source, which is like a central bank, right? So they can take value away from those who have the currency. By printing money and creating inflation, so that's the same thing as raising taxes. It's just taking money from people, whether you do it directly or indirectly through printing money and devaluing the currency. That type of manipulation is impossible with Bitcoin, and that's not just attractive to people like us who are in China and trying to move money across borders, but also people who,、um, you know, might be suffering from. Incredible inflation in their currency, or some other、um, instable, instable、uh, government or currency situation. Venezuela is a good example. I think Venezuela is one of the countries which is really getting onto Bitcoin now, and it's almost becoming like the predominant form of currency there, along with the United States dollar, because the Bolivar has been devalued to the point where you need a wheelbarrow of it to buy, but to buy anything, right? right. So, and we've seen this happen in, in a number of different countries before. So,、um, what the real concern is a systemic breakdown, right? Something which is, like goes beyond what like FDIC can cover. So, for people in America and Americans is like what like five percent of the global population. So, the the people who live in the developed Western world and have access to like a federal deposit, you know, insurance system,、um, are very few. It's like a small minority of the global population. But even those of us who do have access to that insurance, that insurance is useless in the event of a systemic breakdown, an actual collapse. Exactly, they can't possibly cover everyone.、It's、the only thing they can cover is like a very small incident. Right. Well, what they would do to cover that would be make just inflation, like more inflation, print more money. So then you just it's just like a baseless system. So that's what this is why. Like, if you look at, I just saw an image just、um, a couple of days ago.、Um, it's like a. The menu at McDonald's in like 1973, and when you look at it, you're like shocked at how inexpensive everything is. Coffee's like 20 cents, hash browns are like 30 cents, like everything is like incredibly cheap. But it's all familiar items which we know. And what has happened is the value of the dollar has gone down so much over that 40 years that now we look at that and we're like, oh my god, everything was so cheap then. And this is kind of what happens if you hold on to your fiat currency; it loses value over time, and that's why you don't want to do that. You want to invest in things which can beat inflation. Right, right, exactly. So, so, so it's not more; it's not now more expensive to make a potato. It's the same、right. price. It's、right. just the dollar has been devalued to the point where it seems more expensive. Yeah, you remember in Pulp Fiction they were talking about the five dollar milkshake,、mm-hmm. and it was like、mm-hmm. it doesn't have bourbon in it or nothing. And it's like、right. no nothing. It's like now it's like five dollar milkshakes are like everywhere. It's like the standard milkshake price. Yeah, exactly.、Um, what about、uh, another question I had about about it is it, it, could this be a global currency? Could all the currency in the world be replaced by Bitcoin, or is there not enough? I guess it just I guess it just the price of one Bitcoin just goes up to the point where how many are there left to mine? I guess we know that's an exact number. Most、yeah. most of them have been mined, but、uh, I mean. 
in the future, we're probably not going to be talking. I mean, now if you think about buying one Bitcoin, I think most people can't even do that because it's so expensive. Right now, it's like $8,000 for one Bitcoin. So as time goes on, I think it's reasonable to expect that it's just going to be smaller fragments of a Bitcoin. You know, So transactions could be like one one hundredth or one one thousandth of a Bitcoin, or I think it even goes down to one 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 millionth. Yeah, one Satoshi. So and it can even be extended beyond that if the price were ever that high, it can be extended infinitely to however many decimals you need. Um, that is awesome. Yeah, so there's, it's never the situation where there's never enough. And one of the things that's actually attractive about this currency, kind of tying with the last question, it's actually deflationary. It increases in value because coins cannot be created, but they can be lost. So it's, if, if a coin is lost, it's basically contributing to the scarcity. It's just making the... Bitcoin's being traded more valuable because it's lost. Which is a oh, problem as well. I mean, the value of Bitcoin is so volatile. I mean, one of the unique uh, characteristics of the circumstance that we're in now with $8,000 Bitcoin is that most people don't want to spend any Bitcoin on anything. And the reason why is because the value has gone up so much. Right. So if you have a Bitcoin now and it's $8,000 and you're trying to buy something, uh, you probably are not going to want to spend the Bitcoin if you think it's going to go to ten or $20,000. Right. And this is the circumstance that a lot of people are in. So it's it the growing value makes it very attractive as a speculative commodity and makes it less useful as an item of actual transaction. So when you say it can be lost, it it if I if I have a Bitcoin number and and my computer crashes, that number is now gone. Ass- I've mined it. Assuming yeah. whatever. Assuming you never backed up. So right. for example, if somebody has Bitcoin and then they pass away and they didn't leave those keys or the uh, backup seeds or anything like this to a loved one or whomever, then it's gone. Nobody has the passwords because the guy died or whatever. Wow. Right. It's, un- it's uncrackable, yeah. I'm guessing. Yeah. Yes. Right? Yes. Yeah. So, okay. I mean, so far. It's, yeah. it's, right. it's, a, it's a little dangerous, a little risky that you're basically your own bank. So this is one of the major kind of barriers to getting people onto this Bit on, onto Bitcoin is because it's you have to be somewhat technically oriented. It's going to get easier over time as they make better UIs and better software. Mm-hmm. But at this point, it's still you still have to know what you're doing. I heard this described as you know the, an analogy to describe the situation was like cellular phones. So when the first cellular phones became available in the 1980s, they had like a suitcase attached to them, and they had like 15 minutes of battery life, and it was good for like a single telephone call. The only people who had a phone like that were like executives who were trying to, you know, basically like communicate how how extreme their means were, right? Um, And now, you know, we're at the point where, and back then, I think people could look at a cell phone and be like, oh, well, cell phones is like a ridiculous thing, which like very few people can manage to have at all. And the utility is like, was very much questioned of that. Now we're at the point where there's, you know, like, Farmers in Ethiopia have like Nokia phones, right? So it's like everybody has a cell phone. It just took decades for it to become adopted and inexpensive, easy to use, understandable to build this network. So theoretically, we're kind of at the early stages of that type of development. I also think that um, as we move into, you know, they talk about exponential growth in technology all the time, and and we really see it. I mean, I've seen it since I came to China three years ago, um, and this is... There's this is statistics, right? It's, this is not this is not just my observation, but the use of digital currency in China has exploded to the point where there is so much less physical currency. It's absurd. In China, well, China it, has a unique, measurable. China has a very interesting relationship with Bitcoin. Um, 
China's it has in the last like two years has been like really hot on Bitcoin and now is like pretty cold on Bitcoin because the regulators are shutting it down. Um, so right, but I mean, just moving from from paper cash to WeChat and, transactions or to Alipay, right? Yeah. It's just like oh, yeah. moving. I, I just mean using digital currency, adopting digital currency uh, in any form has has the the adoption is massive. I don't know. I haven't been to the states. Obviously, I'm going soon, but. I mean, are, is every single person using Apple Pay in America? No, can, no, can of course you, not. Can you pay any person you want with Square or whatever? Or I don't. I don't think need... that any place on Earth is like China right. as far as a cashless economy. I right. feel like I'm going back to the past when I'm going back to America. Here, I, I haven't used cash in months. Yeah, neither have I. I haven't used my credit card or like bank card, anything. I don't even right. carry my wallet anymore. No, yeah. I just added Apple Pay to my phone, and it's and and now I'll just leave the bank card at home. And I wish I could do that with the subway card. I don't know why they're I doing can't. that already. The oh. Guangzhou subway is the first one which accepts WeChat. Oh, good. Well, uh, the 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 subway in in Chengdu Metro accepts WeChat too. Pay, but I want to be able to 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 board the train with exactly. My That's what the Guangzhou oh, one does. Oh, great, great. Yeah. Thank God it's coming. I have my I'm metro excited. metro card in my pocket. That's all I carry. Yeah, that's me too. It's all I carry, and it's, it's like I, I'm afraid I'm going to lose it now because I don't even no carry that. Last thing I want to get rid of is like my house keys. I want to yeah, get like an yeah. iPhone lock. Oh yeah, they're, they're they're just a couple of thousand quai now still. So it's yeah, sort of expensive. Just so. just want to carry the phone. Nothing right. else. Right. No wallet. I, I, I totally agree. Yeah. <laughs> totally agree. We're yeah. heading into that future. Yeah, we are, and I'm I'm excited for it. So how do we? Okay, so here's the question: We were talking about moving money from China to America. This is expensive. It's hard. And uh, most people don't know how to do it, so they end up, what do they do? They use Western Union or something ridiculous, and they're paying some absurd fees and on, on top of whatever, and they're sending cash only, and they can only send U.S. dollars. And I mean, this is something people do, right? Yeah, and then the, the, on the other end, whoever is picking it up for you, they have to like take their so whatever IDs, and then they, it's like on that only, only that one person can take it. It's, very, it's a hassle all around. Right. It depends on how much money you're dealing with. I mean, if you're dealing with like a few hundred dollars or even like a few thousand dollars, then it's, I mean, you can just take cash on a flight with you. You know, I mean, you can, you have to go to an illegal currency trader, you know, here in China, probably. There are a lot of those. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you see the guys standing outside the bank asking money, money that those guys are illegal traders. Yes. And um, probably the three of us all have experience with that, right? I mean, I've certainly used those guys like many times. I know that it's very common for people to find them. They're not even like really hiding. They just no, like no. do their business out in the open yeah. in the bank. You care less. Uh, yeah. Many of them. You carry, walk like, into the lobby, there's some dude with a duffel bag who has, you know, $40,000 in yeah. there and he's just ready to trade it out. Exactly. Like tens of thousands of dollars of United States dollars in China, just like in a bag, just like ready to trade. In the bank lobby. Right yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very strange to me that they do that. But, you know, this is the Wild West still, I guess. Well, um, there's a definite demand for that. <laughs> you know, if the yeah. if the real market won't meet the demand, then the black market will. And, like, that's what's happening here. And that's what's happening all over the place in China, too. China's, like, filled with black markets, which, feet, which uh, meet various demands, which the government has deemed uh, not legal. But uh, for me, personally, I went through a period a, a couple years ago where I was really looking into how to move... A pretty large amount of money from China into the United States. And this was just money which I had saved over a number of years. And I wanted to just do a bank transfer back to the United States, but um, it was really difficult to do. Um, since then, I've learned that it's a lot easier to do if you just have a Chinese person do it for you. Yeah. So this yeah. is what a lot of people do. Right. So a Chinese person with their Shenfengzheng, their national identification card, can go to a bank and they can transfer money in a relatively easy uh, way. But they, they have a limit, though. 
right? They have $50,000 a year. It's a lot higher, right? But they have $50,000 a year. Right. Okay. I mean, in that case, you know, if you have like $200,000 to move, you know, find a couple Chinese friends or, you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, there's there's solutions to this. There's various ways to do it. Bitcoin kind of being one of them. Um, But for me, what I found was uh, the process which I went through was because all the money which I was moving was um, income from my job. And I have a you know legitimate employer, and I'm all the paperwork and and such. So the official process to move money outside China that you you've paid tax on, you know, which if you are working for a registered company, which is paying you uh, legally, which means they're paying taxes on your income, then uh, you're allowed to send that overseas. You just have to provide all the documentation which says that you've paid those taxes, mm-hmm. and that actually is like. Uh, a crazy chase to like get all these um, stamped documents. So there, there are multiple. Yeah, what was the fees though on something like that? Um, the fee was almost nothing. So really? I moved like, uh, I don't know, like a lot of money, tens of thousands of dollars. And the, the amount to move it was like maybe 200 quai or less than that. So it was inexpensive. It's just a normal bank transfer. But you know, you've paid, but this is money that you've paid taxes on already. This exactly. is real money. This is legal, normal right. money. And it's going back to, to America where you're not paying taxes there because you live abroad and you have all your paperwork in order. But that was a lot of work to get that done. What if I'm, you know, Joe, whoever who wants to move $1,000 a month or $2,000 a month? Because I don't know anyone in America right now who's saving two or $2,500 a month. In yeah. America, do you know? Right. Any, I don't know anyone. It's like they—they they just, you know, you, you don't have that money left over. Well, but this in is, China, I think it's very yeah. realistic to save a couple grand a month, send it back home, throw it in a bank account, you know, just so when you go back, you have a little nest egg or something. Yeah, this is one of the reasons why living and working in China is kind of—it's kind of a good deal for us, right? It's not because people expats like us are living in China and making six figures. It's because the cost of living is so low that we can save more money than a lot of people could in the United States who are earning more money because their cost of living exactly. is like four or five times or more than it is right. here in Chengdu. So yeah, it is a it is a problem that a lot of people encounter. I would say uh, personally, if you're just moving like $1,000 a month, then you could just transfer that through a Chinese person and and probably not have any major issues with that. One of the other problems which I had was I knew that once you transfer a large amount of money into the United States, not only do you have to prove to the Chinese government that you pay tax on this, but you also have to, you know, explain where the money came from to the United States government, right? Because there are, are FinCEN, which is the financial crimes um, department, I guess, which is actually coincidentally in my hometown, <laughs> sucks. I do not like them, but um, they will, you know, flag and monitor any transaction, which is over, I think around $5,000 or so. So if you deposit $5,000 into a US bank account, um, it'll almost certainly come with questions which you have to answer. And so if you're an American, this is another issue which you have to deal with. Mm-hmm. If you're um, a European or you know from another country, I think this is probably not not much of an issue. Right. I worked at a hotel, uh, an expensive hotel, and if someone wanted to pay cash for something, and if they gave us more than, I think it was, it was either five or 10000 Dollars and maybe it was a tiered thing where if it was five thousand we fill out one form and if it was ten thousand we fill out another. But we used to have to fill out the FinCEN form, yeah, and and say, oh hey, this person has this much cash. But if they they could spend an unlimited amount on a credit or debit card, it was fine. So it's very strange, like, but it, but as far as cash is concerned, you know, the, the government wants to monitor 
exactly how people are, are are spending it. But let's so let's get back to the the issue at hand, which is which is what are the what are the options to to send the money out? Which you know, is a I, Chinese person and what else? Yeah, so um, Bitcoin is one way, and the way that you do that is, I mean, it's becoming more difficult now because. If you are trying to use Bitcoin to transfer money outside of China, then you have to buy the Bitcoin in China. And that is difficult to do because regulators in China have shut down all the Bitcoin exchanges in China. Yeah, this was just a few months ago. Um, it's you know, never clear what's going to happen. In six months, they might totally reverse it, but it might totally be the opposite. You know, They might shut it down 100%. We don't know. The Bitcoin exchange, one of them which was shut down uh, called Bitcoin China is the largest Bitcoin exchange in the world, which was just shut down. So how are you buying them, Mac? Then, or how, how does that work? Um, so right now, the best options are local bitcoins, localbitcoins.com. Um, That's and, to find individual people, right? Yeah. So you find individual people, but it, it's very easy. It's actually easier in China than other places because of Alipay and WeChat Pay. So a lot of in other countries, you're actually limited by the basically the fiat pay, uh, payment methods. But we, WeChat and Alipay are so good that it's pretty easy. You can trade with anybody. Um, uh, the other option recently that's been popular is WeChat groups uh, or other messaging app groups. Like you have tra- bu- uh, traders, you have buyers and sellers, and you just post a price, post an amount. How do I know money. I'm going to get those Bitcoin? It does seem risky. Yes. That's real risky. Yes. Like, Do I just send someone 20 <laughs> grand in, in RMB and they're just like, yeah, I'll get your Bitcoin to you right away? Right. Yes. Or how does that work? Yeah, basically. So there are, you know, the, the groups are, are set up where there's a few traders and then most people are buyers. So then they kind of vouch for people. So before a transaction, you can ask people, is this person legitimate, blah, 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 blah. So maybe they are, maybe they're not. I'm curious, is you know, an- since, since the exchanges are shut down, I mean, who are these traders? Who are these people <laughs> who are like selling Bitcoin uh, for Rem and B? Because it just seems like such a losing proposition with the value like going up as much as it is. They traders, they're gaining from the volatility. But okay. the, it's there's only I mean the value is like only going up. It's like a hockey stick, you know. It's like why would you? It seems crazy to sell it if you're like an individual. Yeah, but there's you know ups and downs, so they can take advantage of that. So, uh, um, that 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 is there an es- are there any escrow services where it's like I have my money here and then I get the Bitcoin or or do you give your money to the trader and then the trader gets the Bitcoin number and they don't give the money over to the other guy until whatever or how does that so local bitcoins, I think, works on a escrow, escrow service, an escrow service. But the the WeChat groups are direct, it's, of course. Yeah, yeah. So, so local it, it is sketchy. So the safest option is Probably. any place that has an escrow. Yeah. So local service. bitcoins is better, but the there is a premium because all of the major exchanges were shut down. They all the sellers on local bitcoins, they know that, so then they charge a higher price. Even before that, the price in China was higher because yeah. the demand for Bitcoin is so high in China because of this unique, you know, re- these restrictive properties on the Chinese renminbi. Definitely. So the value has always kind of been high. And people have been talking about Bitcoin as a method to move money outside China for many, many years. And this has been a core pillar of Bitcoin's value uh, inside China. And so this is certainly a probably uh, the major reason why the Chinese government would want to use its uh, various regulatory bodies to shut down the exchanges like Bitcoin China. But even now, if you can, let's say you buy a Bitcoin on uh, WeChat and you want to move that to the States and then turn it into dollars, you can do that. But as soon as the money hits the bank, you run into that same problem. 
uh, which is the IRS and FinCEN. So how does, how, if you're moving a couple of hundred or a couple of thousand, the IRS and FinCEN are not, are not alerted. Right. At all. Right. right? If you're moving, so if you trickle your money out. Uh, So actually I, I consulted with um, a friend of mine who's an accountant on this. And he told me that it's an even worse idea to do that. Um, actually, if you try to break large transactions into smaller pieces, then that is a very serious financial crime. Uh, and I right. believe it's called structuring. So I don't, when, I, when I say trickling it out, I mean, is our large transaction our yearly salary in China and then we're trickling it out to America? Or I don't mean, I don't mean putting $100,000 in Bitcoin and then, and then putting it in $2,000 a day. Yeah. I just mean not putting a giant amount into the into the states at one time. You know I think mean? the former is would be considered a crime and the latter's not. Yeah, if it's just like your monthly salary and you're doing it every month, that would be fine. Okay, right. Yeah. Yeah. So, I'm kind of in in this situation again almost, you know, where I'm once again like kind of ready to move a lot of money outside China. I think a lot of foreigners want to move money outside China because first of all, they're not planning on staying in China forever. And this is a problem that anyone who has a lot of money in a Chinese bank or you know any amount in a Chinese bank that they don't want to keep inside China, they're eventually going to have to find a solution to this problem. And also, a lot of people have been concerned about you know volatility in the Chinese economy. Um, just a couple of years ago, there's a stock market crash, which spooked a whole bunch of people. Um, and that was probably the event which like really gave me a kick in the pants to finally like go through my transfer. Um, and yeah, a lot of people are feel for, fearful of um, a Chinese, you know, economic incident, you know, whether it's a crash or something not that severe. Um, but it could become a lot more restrictive. Definitely. And I don't think it would be limited to a Chinese event. It would, it could be anything. Yeah. And that's a big argument for Bitcoin right there too. Yeah. I mean, look at Venezuela now, as you mentioned. Yeah, super wild to Venezuela. Well, the dollar—I mean, the, even the dollar has gone down since uh, the dollar's gone down since up and down since I've been here. Even right, so now it's at like six point five five or something. Is RMB it really to the dollar? And, and it, was it what it was at? It was almost at seven earlier, right? Well, the renminbi is pegged to the dollar, right? Partially, yeah, it's it's pegged to a basket of currencies. I, I don't remember exactly, but interesting. Okay, so for you guys, you're giving a talk at the Beer Nest this week about Bitcoin and it's kind of about moving money outside China as well too. Is that correct to say that? Yeah. So that's one of the main uh, focuses. We're also doing just kind of investing, um, really kind of what anyone's interested in we'll, we'll talk about. Is this an issue that you guys have dealt with recently? Like, Have you guys um, been moving money around with Bitcoin outside China and you kind of learned through that process? So you're sharing that? or Yeah, basically. Um, it's not exactly the most straightforward process you know there's kind of hoops to jump through so we're just going to go through various options and you know just help people out so have you used these uh, wechat groups or local bitcoins to get bitcoin here in chundu yes which uh tell me about your experience um it's been good yeah i mean local bitcoins is very convenient it's definitely more kind of user friendly um the WeChat groups, I haven't done much on those, just obviously for, for obvious reasons, but I have tried small amounts and I talk to other people that have used them and people seem happy with it. I mean, so, so when I get, when I get my, my Bitcoin or my fractions of Bitcoin, what is it? It's broken up into, what is the 
smaller denomination called? Satoshi, Satoshi is the smallest. That's the smallest unit of Bitcoin currently. Okay. So if I get if I if I buy a certain number of Satoshis, obviously I can't afford a whole coin. Then what do I do with them when I? How do I get them to America? Or, or I know that's a crazy. I don't, I'm not going to mail them, but I mean, how they do I? E- they don't exist anywhere. I know, right? I understand that, but how do I? Or they so, exist w- everywhere. W- they don't exist anywhere. <laughs> right. Then why do I have? Why can't I just use a VPN to buy them? To buy them from. So basically, the way, the way that you would buy them from an exchange overseas is with U.S. dollars, like from your bank, for an American exchange, for example. The, the, so if you have dollars in an American bank, you can do that with a okay. VPN. But that, but. Ex- but that's exactly the problem we have right now. Doesn't help we you have with no dollars in the American bank. We exactly. That's so right. the, the limiting factor is almost always the, the fiat currency. Because they're much more restrictive. And then, you know, you have to find someone to buy it and sell it. So, Yeah. I mean, with an exchange, they buy and sell all day. And that's what they do, right? right. So you can just go to any exchange and buy any amount that you want. With, uh, when when ex- exchange is not an option, then that like dramatically reduces, you know, the simplicity of you know buying Bitcoin and moving money with Bitcoin and so on, and so having the regulators shut down the uh, exchanges in China is like a major blow to Bitcoin. Actually, when this was announced, the value of Bitcoin went, went way down, and then Japan you know vouched for Bitcoin and they said they announced that there are I think six or seven uh, exchanges in Japan which are like sponsored by the government now or like you know vouched for by the Japanese government. And that made the value go up. So if you're going to if you if you make trips to say Hong Kong or Thailand or Japan or Korea on a regular basis, is it possible to then bring your RMB there and then use it to buy Bitcoin in that place instead? Is that better or yeah, how does so, that work? Yeah, what you can do is you can bring RMB cash with you anywhere and then exchange it at a bank into whatever local currency is there. But the downside of that is that the exchange rate is not favorable. Or you can even exchange it here for dollars and bring those dollars wherever you go. I, I mean, think, that, that's I think pretty that's, easy to do, right? I think that might be like the best move, actually. Because here in China, you know, from these black market guys, you can get a very fair exchange rate. Um, the only risk with that, I think, is just carrying a large amount of cash. I think the law says that you can't bring more than, I think, 5,000 US dollars or 10? 10,000, yeah, yeah. So 10,000 US dollars, you can't bring any more than that. I mean, if, if I had like, you know, $5,000, I would be like, pretty nervous yeah, um, I agree traveling with, that. with right. that even though the law says like 10,000 I you know still still feel kind of nervous about that but um, I think that that might be actually one of the better ways to go if you're dealing with an amount in that range um, and then obviously once you get it into uh, another country then it's easy to convert into whatever you need but yeah a lot of those countries will have a lot of countries will have the $10,000 limit customs just kind of you have to fill out forms as soon as you exceed that limit right again getting into like the provenance of your money is it legit is it exactly not i wonder how that how that goes if you're like I yeah know. i got uh, twenty thousand cash like ask me anything <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how did you get that i don't money, right? i don't want to try <laughs> no me neither so is it if i go to japan uh can i buy bitcoins uh do i need a japanese bank account or or, or that's a great question i'm not or, sure but i think it's uh, i mean so to, Bitcoin is so popular in Japan. I think you'd have like a very easy time buying Bitcoin. Right. You probably would. So basically, the big things are withdrawing is the hardest thing. So it's always easier to buy Bitcoin than to sell it. And one of the reasons why is because different countries have different regulations. For example, the uh, America has the fin FinCEN, yeah. FinCEN. So they have. I think it's a Financial Crimes Enforcement Network, actually. Right. So they have their. Uh, 
these laws called Know Your Customer and uh, anti-money anti-money laundering laws. So exchanges will have to comply with these laws, even if they're in other countries. Otherwise, the country is liable to face like sanctions from the U.S. government. Blah blah blah.、Mm-hmm. So American citizens are actually they have kind of a disadvantage. A lot of exchanges won't accept. Americans, for example,、uh, Bitfinex. heavily disadvantaged. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, this is not actually just related to Bitcoin. This is a lot of banks overseas don't want to do business with Americans at all.、Um, I'm a dual citizen, so I'm a German citizen as well. And when I went to Germany a couple of years ago to open a bank account there, they said,、uh, "Are you American?" I said, "Yeah." They said, "Oh, we're really sorry, we can't do business with you." I said,、uh, "What do you mean?" They said, "Oh,、uh, well, our policy is to not do business with Americans." I say, well, why is that? And they say, because the United States government requires things that we cannot provide because they violate our laws. It's epic. Yeah. yeah. And I said, well, I'm German also. They said, oh, what? <laughs> and they were like, let me go speak to the manager. And、uh, I was able to open the account actually. But Americans are、um, restricted from a lot of financial institutions abroad just because of financial requirements. Of the U.S. government, which are very far-reaching and yes, are very yes, much like、yes. violations of、uh, economic freedom. Oh, absolutely! I, I, I've heard, I've heard that. I mean, the U.S. has laws where they can prosecute you for doing things outside of the outside of the states that are illegal there too. Yeah, know, so also, weird, which is a weird thing.、Some、Americans, I, I believe, we're the only people on the planet who have to pay tax on income derived overseas. Yeah, we. It's like the, our tax system is based on citizenship, not residency.、Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So how do I? So then, if I if I have a Bitcoin, I I buy it in China from from WeChat or from local Bitcoin, and I I have it. It comes with a key. Obviously, it's, it's sort of like if it's an encrypted hard drive. I'm guessing, right? Which comes with a password and it. Your wallet is like that. Yeah. You know, you have your you have the keys to your wallet. Which you is, should okay. Which you don't is, necessarily have that. You should set that up. It depends. I mean, if you have your money stored on exchange, then they'll keep the keys for you. If you've created your own Bitcoin wallet using an iPhone app or an Android app or, you know, a Windows or a PC app, which you can download, like、um, Electrum, for example, which is like a free wallet, then you own the keys and then you own the Bitcoin.、Um, if you purchase Bitcoin on local Bitcoins or on WeChat or whatever, then they'll send the Bitcoin to your wallet and then the network will verify the transaction and then that amount will be available in your wallet. Can we put a link to those wallets in、yeah. the? Yeah, sure. Right. Also,、uh, so so if I have a wallet, if I have a Bitcoin wallet, and、um, is that just like sort of like my online banking app on my phone, effectively, or, or or does any wallet work for any for anything, or can can anyone any wallet can send Bitcoin to any other wallet,、right. regardless of the type of、yep. of the company? Yes. Okay. Any yes. Bitcoin wallet can send or receive any amount of Bitcoin, and、uh, there, I mean, like the iPhone apps, for example, like one that's really popular is called Bread. I think Bread Wallet.、Mm. Um, it's a free, you know, app which is、uh, widely used, and so it creates a wallet for you, and you can send or receive any amount of Bitcoin on it. And having the wallet set up on your iPhone in particular is like a very safe way to、uh, keep Bitcoin, safer than a PC. Actually, what I've heard is that iOS is the most safe way,、uh, excepting a hardware wallet, right? So something like a Trezor, which is like a device. Which is like a USB key size device that is like the most secure way to to store Bitcoin. You can also just write down the keys on a piece of paper and just keep that in a safe, which is what a lot of people do. Wow! But you sacrifice convenience. So obviously, on your cell phone, it's like an app, modern app. Whereas if you write it on a piece of paper, it's like every time you want to spend it, you have to 
go through, go through and, a big process. And I'm guessing process. the number, is, the number isn't your birth date. It's like, it's, no, it's no, got to no, be no, 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 long. No. It's very long. It's numbers, letters, capital capital letters, lower like case letters, very long. Actually, what the, the way that um, they're usually described, keys, is I think in 21 words. So it's a sequence of words. And those words are like a human form of the alphanumeric code, which is the wallet, the wallet address, or okay. the keys. So that's the seed, yeah. So it's like a backup, basically. Right. Got it. Easier for humans to remember, but something you should write down. I've seen someone. I've we, we. I'm sure we've all seen the YouTube video, or most people have, of of the guy on on CNBC talking about Bitcoin. And he his was stored in a QR code, which I'm sure you can store them in any any way you want, right? And someone just paused their TV and scanned the QR code and stole his Bitcoin out of his hand. Really? Oh, so, my yes. God. That's hilarious. So that was it, a private key. Yeah, you don't show this to anybody. Right. So this is a private key. Someone gifted him some Bitcoin, $25, I think. And, and he was holding it to the TV and sort of and, and, uh, and showing people how it works. And someone just paused their DVR and just scanned him. And, and it didn't steal it, right? They just... No, they stole it. They stole it. They they just <laughs> literally took it out of his out of his. Yeah, he showed hand. he showed them the password. That's basically the password. He just he, yeah. he didn't realize that that's what he was doing. Right. I mean, and, if you lose the seed, then you lose the Bitcoin. Okay. It's like cash, you know. It's like you can't photocopy it. It's like if it's gone, it's gone. Right. Right. And and uh, they sent him a tweet, and it was it was hysterical. <laughs> he wasn't happy. I mean, this is a, a pretty significant concern about Bitcoin, you know, for the average person because there there's no insurance on the Bitcoin. There's no um, bank manager you can talk to, you are 100% responsible for everything which happens with the Bitcoin. And if something goes wrong, there is no recourse for you at all. You'll never get your Bitcoin back, ever. Because there's literally no one who can help you. You can't call your bank or Visa and say, oh, you know, somebody scammed me. Can I get a charge back? That doesn't doesn't work. Right. Is there... um, So the Bitcoin exchanges in China are shut down, but are all cryptocurrency exchanges shut down? So is like... I know there's Dogecoin and there's other coins that are around that... are, Are there... Is yeah, Bitcoin I think they're all shut only, down. Is, I think that China not only shut down uh, the Bitcoin exchanges, but they also made uh, ICOs illegal, I think, right? Right. Which yeah. is initial coin offerings, which right. are like alternative cryptocurrencies like Ethereum. And there's th- thousands of them, actually. So how do I know which one to select? Or is there only is there only one that will... Is this is this like the like the rental bikes of, of currency, which is like, oh, there's 10 brands, but only only one or two will survive, yes. obviously. Yes, yeah. right. it's a, very much like that. Yeah. Okay, and, and, and how do I know which, which one or two will survive? You don't, nobody does. It's a gamble. It's a complete yeah. gamble. You might as well like go to the roulette wheel. It's, it's going to be 100 to 1, or maybe 1,000 to 1. There's 1,000 just pieces of crap you don't want. For, one, for every single one that's going to be successful. We don't know. Will there be more than one? Could you in the future that will be successful or no one you- has any idea okay. it could even not be bitcoin you know it could be another it could be another cryptocurrency no one has any clue at all um and this is why you know if you're moving money then bitcoin like makes a lot of sense because you convert it back into fiat like wherever you're at right right and those are a less volatile way to store money you also are sacrificing the chance for you know to gain ten thousand percent of value which will never happen with a physical currency right, right. but is happening with bitcoin like right now. Right. So you're sacrificing that. But um, you know, to put all your money into Bitcoin is is reckless because it's very risky, right? Mm-hmm. So it could go up a whole lot, it could go down to zero. No one really knows. Yeah, I mean there could be a bug in the system. Nobody's seen it yet. Might go to zero tomorrow. We don't know. Yeah. Right. How much Bitcoin So Mac, do you keep a lot of Bitcoin around or do you just use it to I, I, I'm not asking you how much Bitcoin you I'm, have, but I'm, I mean, I'm a long-term investor. Yeah. yeah. Okay. 
Okay, so you... Everyone's a long-term investor, right? Yeah, me too, man. I'm right. like, sell right. my Bitcoin. No, I'm like, buy more Bitcoin. I don't think so. Too expensive. Right. So you're just sort of sitting on what you have now, what you bought previously. And yeah. Just, just sort of see what happens, right? This is what most people are doing with Bitcoin. I think from what I've seen too is that a lot of people people got Bitcoin when it was so low, where now it's like at 8,000. It's like, well, if it goes to zero, it's like, I lose 500 bucks. Actually, you know, you know what's what I mean? really, you know what's really interesting? Not- Talking about... Here's the interesting story, which I was reminded of recently. The you know one of the big concerns with um, fiat currency is that central banks can do whatever they want, regardless of what the law says, right? So in 2013, the U.S. government stopped payment to WikiLeaks by interfering with Visa, Mastercard, every single payment processor in the United States, and uh, extrajudicially banning them from sending any money to WikiLeaks. Which essentially cut off WikiLeaks from the entire international monetary system. They're like exiled from it. So the only way they could receive any money, and they need money, right, is just through Bitcoin. So starting in 2013, they started accepting Bitcoin, right? The value of Bitcoin at that time was like a few dollars, okay? So because the US government violated its own laws to interfere and meddle into the monetary system, they subsequently enriched. WikiLeaks. And since then, the value of Bitcoin has gone up like 100,000%. And now WikiLeaks is like flush with cash because they have so much Bitcoin they started collecting at such, such an early time. So you, you don't have anyone who can meddle with the, the financial system with Bitcoin. And that is a very attractive quality. Because right. I mean, the United States, like in this example, with stopping payment to WikiLeaks, like this is a very illegal, irresponsible thing to do, in my opinion. But uh, there are a lot of governments which are much worse than the United States, which just outright uh, steal value from from people who own the currency. And this is a major concern for the majority of the world. You know, think of there are something like two billion people who don't even have a bank account; they just exist with cash or right. with a barter system. Right. right. Well, then so, this is this is what happens in Venezuela when you you have all your money under a mattress. And your money's worth ten thousand dollars on Monday, and then on Tuesday morning it's worth you know five dollars, and it's yeah. like, and it's like you've just lost nine hundred ninety five you know nine thousand nine hundred ninety five dollars, and you haven't done anything. You've not you you are totally blameless in that loss, right? There's nothing to do with you. Yeah, and and the currency's been devalued overnight, and you don't have a wheelbarrow full of money because you just you know what I mean. The Bolivar in, and what's happening in Venezuela is really, really fascinating. The government has, has fixed the exchange rate to the US dollar for something like 10 Bolivars being $1. And that's like the official rate. Uh, the unofficial rate is like 30,000 Bolivars to $1. And so if you go to like Caracas, for example, and I heard this story from a podcast which I listened to where the guy took um, a taxi from the airport to like the downtown area. And in the official exchange rate, the price is like nine thousand U.S. dollars for this taxi ride. <laughs> By the black market rate, it's like ninety cents. And so that's like the difference between you know Bitcoin and fiat currency, where you have someone which can just destroy the value of the currency. I, I mean, I've heard people selling selling a, a you know a, a bag of toilet paper in Venezuela for you know four hundred dollars U.S. Because there's none, it's, the whole country is falling apart. Yeah, effectively. So, 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 right. Uh, when I, how do you get? How do you uh, like? Max said it was difficult to sell it. How do you? Where does the money go? 
Is it deposited directly from your exchange in America if you go through an exchange in America, right? So say I buy it in an exchange in China. I own it now. I want to sell it, obviously, in an exchange in, in America. Does that money go directly from the exchange's website into your into your Bank of America debit card, yep. or does it go through PayPal, or how does that work? Uh, yeah, so I should have been a little more clear. I should say it's it's more difficult to withdraw, like a fiat currency, U.S. dollars, whatever, if you have Bitcoin. So the process would basically be, if you're in China, you wouldn't be buying it from an exchange, so you're buying it from local Bitcoins, oh, that's which, what I meant. which is yeah. like an exchange. So anyways, it's on your local Bitcoins. So local Bitcoins, you could sell it directly from your local Bitcoin. So you could buy it. It's then in, like the Bitcoin is put into your local Bitcoin wallet and then you just sell it, but you sell it to an American person or, or someone with US dollars, whatever. Um, in that case, you don't have to move the Bitcoin. Um, previously, you would have had to have sent it from the first exchange with that you paid for like uh, Chinese, the Chinese Yuan. And then you would have had to send it to another exchange, which is costs almost nothing, uh, to like an American exchange or one that accepts U.S. dollars. Okay, so now that we have local Bitcoin, which is literally a person-to-person transaction of a digital currency, which is sort of a strange concept, then we, then you can then sell it directly. Okay, so then say I own a Bitcoin on local Bitcoin that I purchased from a Chinese person in Yuan. And I'm just trying to understand this. So maybe I sound completely retarded, but... Okay, so I, I've bought it from a local person in UN. I own it on local Bitcoin. I want to sell it to an American person in America in dollars. Where does the where do the dollars go? Do so, they go to my bank okay, and drop okay. it in, or so, how do they get it to me? So in this case, you have to kind of set up different payment methods. So you can do cash. They'll you give them your bank number, bank account number. They'll deposit cash into your account, uh, or you can do. Um, like a national bank transfer. So if you both have, let's say, Bank of America, both have Wells Fargo, or you kind of worked, you know, your banks work together, you can accept it that way. Um, PayPal is not a good method, although I do think they offer it because it's easy to charge back. So basically, if, if I'm buying Bitcoin from you, I have PayPal. So I send you the PayPal, they send you the Bitcoins. Bitcoins you can't charge back. But I can call PayPal and say, like, hey, something something happened. Uh, this guy's scamming me. So if, if I can convince PayPal to reverse the transaction, then I have the guy's Bitcoin. He has nothing. Got it. Also, okay. if you're using Bitcoin, the reason why you're using it is probably because you wanted to avoid a lot of the downsides of services like PayPal. Like, Bitcoin is attractive specifically because it operates in a similar way to PayPal without a lot of the downsides of PayPal. So if I have if I have someone in in the Cayman Islands at Paradise Bank and I want to and I want to send him my Bitcoin, I could use the local Bitcoin to send my money to any country I want, and they could put it in any account or in in, in any it's it's whatever you want. Then, right? You set it up to however you want to set it up. If I had a bank account in Mexico, I could sell it to a Mexican person; they could throw it in my Mexican bank account or yeah, do whatever. Assuming you right. have a Mexican bank account. Yeah. Okay, got it. So. Additionally, is there, and this brings up, you just mentioned PayPal, or I, someone mentioned PayPal. Is that another way to transfer money? Is, is, does yeah, PayPal so, work? And how does that work? Because I've, I've heard a million questions about that, which is... Yeah, I used PayPal years ago to transfer money outside China. And it was working then, but it was occasionally problematic because there's two different PayPal networks. There's China PayPal and there's rest of the world PayPal. And so you have to move it from one to the other. So what you would do is you would deposit money into your Chinese PayPal with RMB, and that would be through one, Alipay or through 
Through your um, bank? I use through bank. Through bank. Okay. Yeah, through bank transfer. And so then you would fund your Chinese PayPal account, and then you would send that to your other international PayPal account, which is a, a separate account, right? So that's one way to do it. The downside of that is that you probably don't want to store a lot of money inside PayPal. So then you're probably moving it into a bank. And then at that point, you you kind of have to wonder, why wouldn't you just do a bank transfer to begin with? Because PayPal has pretty significant fees. And one of the most attractive things about Bitcoin is that you're not paying uh, a transaction fee. And on PayPal, you're paying a very significant transaction fee. More, more than you'd pay with the bank? Much more. Okay. Yes. Right. I mean, if you transfer like $1,000 with uh, PayPal, you're probably paying like $50 or more. That's obscene. That, that's, that's quite a bit of money. Yeah, it's huge. That's why Bitcoin's attractive. <laughs> One of the reasons. So, so is, there a, is there a starter kit if, to get this going? Is, what, 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 are the, what are the four or five steps I need to take to, to be transferring Bitcoin? And how long does it take from the time where I say, I think I want to do this to the time where I actually see money in my US bank account? What, what will be the total time it takes to get that to get that set up is there starting from scratch yeah it would take a while yeah because there's some approval processes uh it's interesting yeah you're always limited by the fiat you're never limited by the bitcoin the bitcoin's near instant um it's always the exchanges they have to verify your uh, account they have to verify your id usually you have to like show a picture of your passport or whatever so it can be very annoying uh local bitcoins is better uh you don't have to verify these things, but again, it's there's a bit of an onboarding process. How many days does this process take, approximately? Is it weeks? Is it a month? Is it no. if I'm on it all the time? Is it is it getting is it going through quickly, or how does that work? Um, days, I would say less. Okay. Uh, lo- yeah, I mean, if you go with the formal exchanges, it would be a little longer, um, but with local bitcoins, it would be fairly quick. Yeah. And then, I, but I would need to go through the formal exchange, theoretically in the states, though, if I if I wanted to, if I didn't want to sell them through local bitcoins, is that right? Yeah. So there's the big exchanges. Um, there's lots of them. So in this case, yeah, you do have to verify, and it depends. Sometimes they're really high volume, like new customers are high volume, so they take a long time. Sometimes they're, sometimes they're fast. You never know. Right. So, uh, but, but once you're set up, it's you're good. Right. So that's the that's the that's the good part of it. I think a good place to buy Bitcoin or to learn how it works is I think the largest exchange in the world is Coinbase now, or certainly the largest in the United States. Yeah. And this is like a, a pretty reputable uh, exchange, which is based in San Francisco. And everything on the website is very clear and easy to use, as opposed to something like Electrum, which I mentioned, which is your own wallet. So if like an average person who's not familiar with Bitcoin downloads Electrum, like they'll probably just be lost, you know, right. because does, it's a little bit hard to grasp. Does Coinbase have an app too? Yeah. Okay. Sure. So, so you download the app and they sort of like walk you through it and they sort actually proof it. Yeah. To, they so have so you um, don't, like lose your ass. They have an API for Coinbase also, which means there are a lot of third party applications which plug into Coinbase. Okay. So Bread, for example, could plug into Coinbase. Bread does not, but there are <laughs> apps like that. Yes. <laughs> right. Okay. Right. Got it. So, and this is an easy way to, I mean, you can use a credit card to purchase like $5 in Bitcoin on Coinbase and you can transfer the money around. You can receive a dollar or two from someone else. You can do these kind of things to understand like how the system works. Once you have a familiarity with that and have achieved a level of understanding where you feel like, you know, you're willing to invest some more time to learn more, then you can set up your own wallet and, you know, start managing your own, your seed and your keys and so on and get into 
what Bitcoin is really about, which is really independence, not relying on anybody else. Can you use a credit card? Can you use a credit card to buy Bitcoin? Sure. At an exchange, yeah. So if I wanted to just game the mileage system, I could just buy thousands of dollars in Bitcoin and then just sell it again and then just pay my credit card bill and have free miles? That's a good question. I don't know. Maybe you could. I haven't thought about I that. I guess so. Yeah, I didn't, haven't thought about it either. Because that, you know, that guy used to buy coins from the U.S. Mint and then have them delivered to the bank and then just deposit them again. New scam developed here on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, just use your credit card know. to buy Bitcoin and then you have smiles. That's a good question. But yeah, right, cash um, back. like Visa, MasterCard, you can use those to purchase Bitcoin. Huh. Wow. That's awesome. So I'm sure someone's thought of that. <laughs> I'm sure someone's thought of it. Right. So is there anything else we need to know before we wrap up this this podcast, which would be, are there any, is there anything else that anyone needs to know about how to get money out? Which is what I guess, I guess let's, let's summarize by saying the best way is still to get a Chinese person. That's the easiest way, I think. Yes. Okay. Easiest way to get money outside yeah. China. Um, assuming that you're not dealing with a large amount of money. Right. But yeah. If you want to get into Bitcoin, it's a great kind of kick in the pants or whatever. Um, but yeah, once you're set up though, it's, it's kind of smooth. Okay. It's very smooth. And uh, for anybody in Chengdu, come check you all out at the, uh, what's described the event. Wednesday, the beer nest. Wednesday. Yeah. Open forum. What time? Seven. Seven o'clock. Seven o'clock at beer nest. You guys are going to be talking about Bitcoin and moving money out of China as well. Yeah. Is that right? Yep, okay. That's one of the uh, main to- topics. Investing, moving, uh, it's, moving Bitcoin. It's yeah. Wednesday. It's Wednesday, November 29th. 2017, 7.30 p.m. Uh, and it's it's at Bitcoin pre-sale. It, it's ticket-based, but it comes with a free drink, so it's sort of like a wash. I right. think they just want to count the number of people who are coming, honestly. Yeah, cool. Their goal. So that's where, that's where we're going to be speaking. At. Great. Well, today, Bitcoin's at $8,000. Hopefully, um, whenever... It may be at 10 by <laughs> yeah, Wednesday. It'll, it'll be at 10000 <laughs> by Wednesday. Let's see. It's, it actually got 9000 today. Did it really? Yeah. Oh, my God. All-time high. Nine thousand. Every day is an all-time high. Well, eight thousand, eight thousand. That that all-time high was about a week ago. So, yeah. (laughs) How many times? Okay, so a thousand dollars a week is what we're at. Okay, so it'll be like fifty thousand dollars by next year. Charlie's (laughs) Charlie's uh, about to about to get in a swimsuit and jump in his uh, in his grain silo full of ducats right now. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'm gonna like start a space exploration company. Yeah, sounds um, good. Which I'm sure everyone else with Bitcoin is gonna do also. So it'll be crowded in space. Yeah, it will. All right. Well, it was. Thanks for listening, uh, and uh, maybe we'll come back soon with a new topic, I guess, right? Great. All right. right. Thanks a lot for listening to the podcast. For anyone who's listening to this, if you're interested in checking out previous episodes, you can find them on our website at chondoliving.com, where you can download or stream any of the podcasts. You can also listen to them on Apple Podcasts or on Stitcher or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you very much for listening, and catch you next time. Bye.